And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is Monday. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. We are glad you're here. If you are with us live, the chat's open. The comments are open. We are broadcasting live to YouTube, Facebook, and Odyssey. And I do encourage all of you to connect with us over on Odyssey. We're currently sitting right now at 149. And we've kind of gained a little bit over on YouTube as well. We're currently sitting at 1921, I believe. It's fluctuating. It's bouncing back and forth a little bit. I think we've got some shenanigans going on at YouTube. Uh, if you're listening to us on a podcast player, we're available on a number of them. We're glad you're here as well. And for anyone in Australia who is uh, watching or listening, the chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. I tell you, what's going on in Australia is just beyond flabbergasting for me. And another thing that is beyond flabbergasting, I guess you could say, is is a shock and surprise, uh, which is kind of a weird thing here because I don't know. I I, I just don't know what to make of this because this is this is breaking. This is just breaking news. So we'll get to the we'll get to the topic of the day for a minute, but this is this is breaking news. I want to get to this first because this uh, this could be a this could be a, a something kind of, you know, kind of one of those things where <clears throat> it it will make a big deep impact. In the Hollywood system, this is uh, th- uh, this is making all of the trades, but this is uh, Hollywood Reporter, uh, which is which is where I first saw it. I, we saw it over on Twitter. It was starting to break over there, and we have now the headline that CAA Creative Artist uh, Creative Arts Agency Creative Artist Agency uh, Creative Artist Agency is acquiring its rival ICM partners in a blockbuster deal that will consolidate the ranks of major Hollywood agencies as the representation industry undergoes a pandemic-era business shift. Now, those of you who are not familiar with the, the Hollywood system and how things work, this is, this is a fairly huge heap of deal here. Because uh, when you look at uh, any kind of a deal, any kind of, a, of an arrangement where uh, actors 
directors, producers, all of these people have representatives. They have agencies that negotiate their terms, their contracts. This is how much I want to get paid. This is how much I want to get in my bonuses and my residuals and my royalties and all of that other stuff. All of that stuff is negotiated through talent agencies and, and lawyers. And CAA and ICM are two of the biggest, if not the biggest, and now with them merging, they will more than likely be the biggest talent representation agency in the industry. <clears throat> and this is a paradigm shift. This is one of those things where you look at this, this is like, this is like Disney buying Fox. Okay, this is this is a major consolidation of the people that represent everybody you know in Hollywood. And it raises the specter of monopoly because and and, and this is one of those things where one of the the Paramount decision of nineteen I think nineteen twenty seven, I think. Where basically it said, said, you can't own everything. Because that creates a monopoly and it, and it is bad for business. And there's no competition in the marketplace and, and it affects pricing and, and cost and, and all that other stuff. Well, if this talent agency is big enough, and it likely is, let's, let's game this out for just a second. Well, let's, let's do a little bit of a what if. What if somebody, Christopher Nolan, for example, Scarlett Johansson, for another example, somebody gets bent out of shape over a deal that goes badly. Studio decides, you know, hey, in order for us to survive financially, we've got to make a different decision on how we're going to distribute our films. We're going to do day and date. We're going to put it all on digital. We're going to do streaming and all of this. The, all of these penalties start to kick in and everything. And now you have Scarlett Johansson suing uh, the Disney company because of certain things in the contract that were affected by that decision. Christopher Nolan decides he's not going to work with Warner Brothers anymore at all. His next project is over at Universal. Now let's say that in the spirit of solidarity, this new giant agency sits there and says, okay, well, because you have done financial harm to one of our clients, we're going to remove all of our clients and none of them are going to work for work with you anymore, Warner Brothers or New Line or Disney. This potentially is big enough that this agency now could control the majority of the talent pool, and that includes not just actors, but also per the producers, the production people, the producers, the directors. Now, they have their own guilds, the Writers, the writers Guild, you have the Directors Guild, you have the Producers Guild. They generally don't negotiate contracts. The talent agencies and the lawyers negotiate the contracts. The Directors Guild, the Producers Guild, they're all there to arbitrate credit and working conditions and all of that other stuff. Benefits and perks and whatnot. 
this is potentially one of the biggest things to happen in Hollywood in a long time. And maybe not for the better. Of course, I'm an outsider. I'm on the outside looking in on this thing. I have opinions. But, all right, continuing in this article. The companies led by CAA's Brian Lord, Kevin Huvane, and Richard Lovett, and ICM's Chris Silberman, did not disclose sale price and said the deal will close later this year. Silberman would join CAA's shareholder board. The merging of the Century City-based firms will leave three major talent firms, WME, CAA, and UTA, that represent the bulk of deal-making for the industry. <clears throat> Joint statement. The strategic combination of CAA and ICM bolsters our collective resources, expertise, and relationships to deliver even more opportunities for our world-class clients to build their careers and their brands across multiple disciplines and platforms in an evolving marketplace. So they're thinking ter in terms of streaming platforms as well. That's what that, that's what that says. Our strong financial position enables us to continue to expand and diversify our businesses with service and representation remaining central to what we do and who we are. I, I don't know if anybody remembers or is aware, but these agencies, I think, I think creative, uh, the CAA especially, it might, ICM might be doing it, <clears throat> but they're also in the business of making stuff, uh, producing. It's not their primary thing, but they have dabbled in it a little bit. I, this is... This is interesting, and I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be interested to see how this plays out because this this is a a potential uh, maybe I don't know I, this is this is everybody is shocked by this I'm I'm looking at reactions on on uh, social media this morning this is like wow wow what is this so maybe. Maybe, who knows what the implications are, what the what the fallout's going to be on this. Um, <clears throat> Sci-Fi Snipes says, sounds like power to the talent and away from the studios. Isn't this better? Maybe. But, uh, the, the other maybe, and this goes back to the idea of the monopoly, because if you have one company or a single, you know, one company or two companies that control all of the resources in a particular category, you run the risk of price gouging, price fixing. Um, you have a lot of um, ne'er-do-wells who might be involved in that kind of thing. The, de the, the decision to break up the Paramount uh, monopoly so many years ago, back in, I think, I, think, I want to say it was 1927, but this idea that one company controls everything. I mean, a while back I showed you the chart that shows everything that the Walt Disney Company owns. And they're too big. A lot of people will will agree, and that's an opinion of mine, I think the Walt Disney Company is too big. I think big tech, Alphabet, Google, Facebook, I think they're all too big. And when you don't have competition in the marketplace or we don't have enough competition in the marketplace, you end up with 
higher prices, fewer choices, and you're kind of just left with whatever options somebody decides you want, you're going to take this and you're going to like it. It's kind of like the healthcare industry right now. They, it, it's it's overregulated, and there are too many people that are involved in the decision making processes regarding healthcare for, to to interfere. It should be doctor patient relationship. Y'all make the decisions and whatever. And I've been saying for years, you want to fix healthcare in the United States, you treat them, you turn them into VCRs, because competition introduces you know c- competition leads to innovation. When VCRs were first introduced back in the 80s, they sold for $800, $900, $1,200 a piece. They're what now? 50 bucks? 50 bucks for a VCR maybe? Or a DVD player? 60 bucks, 70 bucks. Competition leads to innovation. You get the research, you get the development. You say, how do we do this better? How do we do it faster? How do we do it cheaper? How do we make a widget that will do something more than what this other widget does? What kind of what kind of resources can we use to make our widget cheaper than Julio's widget? And then Barbara comes and she says, I've got a widget that'll do all of this plus this other thing, and we'll do it for cheaper. It affects prices because competition is continuously driving this how do we do it better faster more and you don't have that in the healthcare industry right now you don't have the the market forces in play you got too many people you got you got regulatory commissions you got government agencies you got insurance companies you have lawyers all of these people administrators all of these people involved in the healthcare decisions of between that should be between doctor and patient Monopolies in Hollywood are the same kind of thing where you get one or two companies and they're making everything, quote unquote everything. They're not going to make everything, but a majority of everything. And it limits your options on what you as the customer, don't think of yourself as a fan. You're a customer. You spend money on a product. They make product. And if there are fewer companies making the product, they can make what they want. You're limited by your options. You can either buy this or you don't buy anything. And there are enough people that'll buy whatever it is that Disney is kicking out that Disney's not going to worry about losing your business. And if they're able to buy movie theaters again, like some of them have have started to talk about doing, then cradle-to-grave type of thing. We're going to make the movie. We're going to distribute the movie. We're going to put it in our own theaters. And that's that's the price. That's the price of admission. This is how much a ticket's going to cost to see our movie in our theater that we made. Sci-Fi uh, can you even buy a VCR now? Yes. I think you can still get them. Well, I don't know. Now that I think about it, have you seen a VCR anywhere in the store? I know Blu-ray, Blu-ray players and, and DVD players are still out there. Well, yeah, thrift stores maybe. 
It's not because customers won't know what they want until we tell them. Eh, that's part of it, too. You know, advertising and marketing plays a big part of that. Uh, Mazur says, I'm rocking the same look he did in high school and still do. The dress shirt, open over t-shirt. I, well, you know, I'm not a fashion icon, but, you know, every now and again, <clears throat> I have my moments. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, so, yeah, it's... This is this is a pretty big thing. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because it's not. I don't know. I really don't know what this means for the industry. This could be. A, I I wonder what uh, what Cameron Pasha would make of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check and see uh, over on the various socials to see if he's got an opinion on this. This again. This is this is just breaking right now. So I'm sure the fallout has yet to be completely, fully evaluated and appreciated, but it's going to be one of those things that has fairly sizable repercussions, I think. This could somewhere, some way, uh, be driven by what kinds of things that we're seeing. Now, maybe, maybe this consolidation is in answer to what's been going on with Scarlett Johansson, what's been going on with the debates about um, uh, streaming versus theatrical. If if CAA and ICM combine their resources for some, if, you know, this gives them quite a bit of negotiating power as well. Uh, Robert, the breaking news is that uh, two of the biggest talent agencies in Hollywood have just announced a merger, CAA and ICM. Uh, this is a fairly large, significant development in the entertainment industry. So uh, that's what we were talking about. We haven't gotten to our topic yet about the Jedi. But we're going to do that now because... Why not? Um, okay, <clears throat> so it is not Disney saying that the Jedi are toxic. It's Scientific American magazine that says the Jedi are toxic. This is an article here from uh, September 23rd. It's written by five different people. It is an opinion piece. In Scientific American Magazine. And the link to the archive is in our show notes. So if anybody wants to read this article, uh, that's how you can get there. The headline. Why the term Jedi is problematic for describing programs that promote justice, e equity, diversity, and inclusion. Now, basically what's happening here. There's a new, there's a new thing in academic circles. They are using Jedi as an acronym for justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. It's, a, it's an evolution of the diversity, equity, inclusion, or as I like to call it, diversity, inclusion, equity, D-I-E, um, because that's a little bit more appropriate, I think. But this new, this new thing is this approach to how how you know the diversity training and the whatnot in your in your companies this is an example here this is american trails dot uh, org i don't know who american trails are but i'm assuming it has something to do with trails 
like hiking trails and going off in the woods and walking trails. Like, race has anything to do with any of that. But here we go. <clears throat> Sci-Fi Sci-Fi says, why are we even talking about this? This all happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Stop living in the past. I, you know... If I if if we could get a, if we could get away from all of this, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Just one day, just one day, just one day without the circus would be very nice. I actually had I actually kind of had that kind of a day yesterday. I came down here so so after after Mrs. Boss decided that she was done for the day, we'd been watching Stargate Atlantis. And uh, I tuck her in, and she's she's off to off to slumberland. And so I come down, I, I I get to the to the office, and I look, and I notice my computer's not on. And I realize I have not had my computer on all day on Sunday. It was a very very nice, satisfying feeling. I was like, okay, I'm not even going to turn it on today. So I have every now and again a day. But there is something to be said for getting completely away from all of it, disconnecting and getting away from social media, getting away from the web, getting away from everything. And I don't do it enough. <clears throat> but here we go. This is uh, equity, equity training, diversity training, equality training, what all of this stuff is, is basically an extension an evolution of the same kind of things that we've been seeing with, you know, like you know, diversity training and sensitivity training and critical race theory training and all this other hot mess garbage. <clears throat> but these people here at Scientific America are saying that the JEDI acronym that's starting to be promoted in these academic communities is problematic. Subheadline. They're meant to be heroes within the Star Wars universe, but the Jedi are inappropriate symbols for justice work. Now, they're trying to take an, a fictional set of characters and apply real-world circumstances and try to do this compare and contrast type of thing. The beginning of that problem is that Depending on who's writing the story, the Jedi are not consistently the same all the way through the entire Star Wars saga. So let's keep that in mind. <coughs> Excuse me. From the article, the acronym Jedi has become a popular term for branding academic committees and labeling STEM Science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and medicine. They've added an M recently. I, I did not, uh, I was not aware. When did they add the extra M? Uh, the acronym JEDI has become a popular term for branding academic committees and labeling STEM initiatives focused on social justice issues. <clears throat> okay, so here's, here's my question. What does social justice have to do with scientific endeavors that's that's the thing is if you're doing science science should be relatively objective now yes the observers are going to have some bias but 
science involves asking questions about the world. You make observations. You form a theory. You have experiments to test your theory. You refine your theory based on new observations. You keep doing it over and over again. This whole, this is, this is how this is. So, okay. <clears throat> Sociological things should not have anything to do with science or math or technology, engineering. I mean, really, if you're going to build a bridge, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian designing the bridge. The bridge has to work. The bridge has to be a bridge that you can use to either walk across something or drive across something. The engineering doesn't care about your skin color. Math, 2 plus 2 is 5, right? No, only if it makes you feel better. 2 plus 2 is 4. It doesn't matter if the person doing the math is male or female or uses 42 pronouns or color, you know, has purple hair or is fat or skinny or tall or black or white or Asian or whatever. 2 plus 2 is 4. That's math. It doesn't matter. People are making this big deal out of, out of something that is not a big deal. Anyway, continuing. In recent years, this acronym has been employed by a growing number of prominent institutions and organizations, including the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. At first glance, Jedi may simply appear to be an elegant way to explicitly build justice into the more common formula of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, productively shifting our ethical focus in the process. Jedi has these important affordances, but also inherits another notable set of meanings. It shares a name with the superheroic protagonists of the science fiction Star Wars franchise, the Jedi. Within the narrative world of Star Wars, to be a member of the Jedi is seemingly to be a paragon of goodness, a principled guardian of order and protector of the innocent. This set of pop cultural associations is one that some Jedi initiatives and advocates explicitly allude to. <clears throat> but I'm going to go down here a little bit further into... <clears throat> Whether intentionally or not, the labels we choose for our justice-oriented initiatives open them up to a broader universe of associations, branding them with meaning, and, in the case of Jedi, binding them to consumer brands. Through its connections to Star Wars, the name Jedi can inadvertently associate our justice work with stories and stereotypes that are a galaxy far, far away from the values of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. The question we must ask is whether the conversations started by these connections are the ones that we want to have. So then it goes through this sociological gobbledygook. The first thing here, the Jedi are inappropriate mascots for social justice. And this is, this is about where they lost me. Although they're ostensibly... There's your, there's your first word. Uh, they're ostensibly heroes within the Star Wars universe. The Jedi are inappropriate symbols for justice work. They are a religious order of intergalactic police monks 
prone to white saviorism and toxically masculine approaches to conflict resolution, violent duels with phallic lightsabers, gaslighting by means of Jedi mind tricks, etc. The Jedi are also an exclusionary cult, membership to which is partially predicated on the possession of heightened psychic and physical abilities or force sensitivity. Now, these are actual academics <coughs> asterisk <coughs> actual academics examining fictional characters in a science fantasy universe that doesn't exist populated pe by people who don't exist said characters have abilities that don't exist in the real world and I get it. You're gonna you're gonna make the you make the comparison. You know, people are gonna want to make the 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 connection between Jedi as a, as a as a science endeavor and the Jedi of Star Wars. Okay, but this paragraph right here makes it very very clear that these people have absolutely no idea what they're talking about with regard to what Star Wars is. Or what the Jedi are. <clears throat> Here's a quote from George Lucas. The Jedi are not like cops who catch murderers. They're warrior monks who keep peace in the universe without resorting to violence. See, that runs completely counter to this conflict resolution through violent duels. George Lucas, if they have to use violence, they will, but they are diplomats at the highest level. They've got the power to send the whole force of the Republic, which is 100,000 systems. So if you don't behave, they can bring you up in front of the Senate. They'll cut you off at the knees politically. They're like peace officers. See, that doesn't tell me that they're very, very bent on conflict resolution using violence. Star Wars has a problematic cultural legacy, according to this article. The space opera franchise has been critiqued for trafficking in injustices such as sexism, racism, and ableism. Think, for example, of the so-called Slave Leia costume, infamous for stripping down and chaining up the movie series' first leading woman as part of an Orientalist subplot. That's a new one I haven't heard before. Star Wars arguably conflates alienness with non-whiteness, often seeming to rely on racist stereotypes when depicting non-human species. The, the series regularly defaults onto ableist tropes, memorably in its portrayal of Darth Vader, which links the villain's physical disability with machinic inhumanity and moral deviance presenting his technology-assisted breathing as a sinister auditory marker of danger and doom. Okay. Should I even bother to finish with this? Because this 
this is <clears throat> okay to quote the philosopher Muttley I mean this is this is just idiotic but it's an indicator of where some of these namby-pamby intellectual types sit with regard to people. I have no doubt that the academics, the intelligentsia who wrote this garbage, actually believe at least half of it. The other half, they'll probably say they believe just to fit in with the crowd and not get canceled. But this is a garbage hot take. Darth Vader is a bad guy. Darth Vader is a bad guy because of what he does, not because of what he is. Now, you could go through the prequels and you can go through all of the reasoning why Anakin Skywalker fell to the dark side of the Force and all of that stuff. That, that's immaterial to the argument. They're sitting here saying that Star Wars conflates disabled with villain. And that's not true. Darth Vader is not a villain because of his injuries. Darth Vader is a villain because he made choices to do very bad things. Now, he might have been motivated by a good idea. I want to save my wife. Okay, fine. But Darth Vader is a villain because he chose to compromise his principles. And those choices led to the injuries that he suffered. Not the other way around. In the overall grand scheme of the first six movies, his choices led to the injuries. The evil, the villainy, was already there before he was in the suit. And for them to sit there and say, Star Wars conflates disabled with evil, what about Luke? Luke's disabled, he's missing a hand. It's not the same thing. But, okay, I mean, he is. And their portrayal of uh, their, their characterization here of Princess Leia also has a touch of disingenuousness around it. Because what, what, what kind of character is Leia Organa in the original trilogy? She's not a damsel in distress. Oh, oh, save me. Oh, save me. I've got the vapors. I can't do anything. Save me. She's not doing that. She's not sitting around boo-hooing and moping because of her situation. She's thinking of ways that she can get out of it. She's spitting in the eye of the Empire while they're shooting her planet apart.
The more you tighten your grip, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. She's all bravado. She's all sitting there right there saying, I'm not going to be afraid of you. She is not a damsel in distress. And whatever arguments you can make for the metal bikini, for or against, is immaterial to the story because the story is Luke's got a plan and everybody has to be in a particular place for that plan to work and Leia has to be in there. Now, granted, she gets captured. She gets put into that outfit. And what does she do with it? With the chain... She, she uses her chain of captivity to destroy her captor. She's the hut slayer. That's the new big thing, right? She's not a damsel in distress. She is not sitting around waiting for the hero to come rescue her. That's not in her nature. These people clearly do not understand. Star Wars. At all. And if they do understand Star Wars and they're still writing this drivel, then they are being intellectually dishonest. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> let's go through looking at the chat. Mazur says, Darth Vader's injuries are because he's a villain. I, I would agree with that to a certain point. Yes, because the, they are consequences of his decisions, of his choices. Uh, Green Apple, welcome. I haven't seen that name in here before. Good to see you. A new, a new persona in the chat. Green Apple says, Academics are the stupidest people on the planet. They come up with this garbage to justify their positions and to feel superior. Mazur says, These are people who are out of sight, out of mind when it comes to learning from an original established morality play, The Fall of Anakin Skywalker. <clears throat> I... I just, <sighs> Jedi, from the article here, Jedi connects justice initiatives to corporate capital. Uh, Jedi is more than a name. It's a product. Circulating that product's name can promote and benefit the corporation that owns it, even if we do not mean to do so. We are, in effect, providing that corporation, Disney, with a form of free advertising, commodifying and cheapening our justice work in the process. Now, this little piece, I can agree with them about 80%. Because whatever you might think of Disney, you look at fan films, for example. You look at cosplayers who are making money selling photographs of themselves in costume. The big corporations don't come down very hard on any of this stuff. Now, CBS did with the Axanar thing, and there was, there was fallout from all of that, and there are consequences to that. But that's because Alec Peters got too big for his britches, and he's still being an ass, but that's, that's a discussion for another day. But the point that if you say Jedi, you're making some kind of a conflated connection between this academic stuff and the Disney the Disney company. Okay, that argument kind of holds a little bit of water, but when you stop and consider what groups are actually using Jedi as a as a as an acronym for this social justice work in academic circles. 
That's not a lot of people. I mean, let's let's be real here. The the academic community, the intelligentsia, these are not your everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill John Q. Public types. Okay? Because this is the first that I've heard of any of this stuff. And when they're saying that we've been using the, the acronym JEDI for a couple of years, I'm like, oh, okay, news to me. And it's probably news to a lot of other people. But given Disney's history... Mulan. When you look at some of the decisions that Disney has made, it's a fair point that you don't necessarily want your academic endeavor to be associated with a company like the Walt Disney Company. I can concede that point. Not from the basis of the social justice part, but from the basis of I don't want to give any corporation free advertising unless it's something that I think it deserves it. And there's not a whole lot of that. And no, if, if I haven't heard of it, it never happened. Well, isn't that the way we're supposed to work these things now? Because there are a lot of people out there who are criticizing things that happened before they were born. And, and things that happened before they were born don't exist. So there's a time... Is, is, did I get the timing off? Maybe? <clears throat> I mean, this clearly has been happening since, since the day I was born. So... But I'm not an academic. I'm not involved in those circles. Now, granted, I've, I've got my eye on a lot of different things in social media and a lot of different discussions, a lot of different topics across my desk. This is the first that I've seen of this, where the acronym JEDI is being used for diversity training. Now this is this is this is a fun one. Cyphers <coughs> time, no free advertisements. This is why I don't retweet Jason's tweets until he pays me. I pay you in attention, sir. Um, <coughs> all right, from the article: aligning justice work with Star Wars risks threatening inclusion and sense of belonging. While an overreaching goal of Jedi initiatives is to promote inclusion, the term Jedi might make people feel excluded. Star Wars is popular, but divisive. Well, whose fault is that, Disney? Identifying our initiatives with it may nudge them closer to the realm of fandom. Oh, that would be bad. That would be bad. Manufacturing in-groups and out-groups. Well, I mean, we've already got we're already at that point with fandom, right? Those unfamiliar or uncomfortable with Star Wars, including those hurt by the messages it sends, may feel alienated by the parade of jokes, puns, and references surrounding the term Jedi. Consider as one example, 
its gender-exclusionary potential. Studies suggest that the presence of Star Wars and Star Trek memorabilia, such as posters, in computer science classrooms can reinforce masculinist stereotypes about computer science. Oh, there it is. Girls aren't allowed. No girls allowed in our club. Somebody, somebody writing this article, somebody writing this article did not get let into the He-Man Woman Haters Club and the Science Lab and Junior High. That's, there it is. There have been a number of posts, social media posts, articles, listicles, all sorts of different evidences that are out there that girls have always been in fandom. One in particular, I think, is a, it's a photograph from 1977 or 1978. A young lady who had built her own X-Wing costume from scratch using only the movie in the theater as her reference point. Because back then, back you have to remember... Back in the late 70s, you didn't have all this cosplay stuff going on. You didn't have companies like Anavos or whatever this new one is, Duane Novo or, or the 501st or the Rebel Legion or any of these clubs. They have, you know, you want a screen accurate costume. Here's the plans. Here's the schematics. Here are the, here are the designs. Here's all of the stuff. That didn't exist back then. And she, she, she builds her own X-Wing fighter pilot costume using just the movie. And she goes back to the movie and 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 and she's writing notes and taking notes and writing notes, taking notes, and she builds an X-Wing pilot costume. She does. Women have always been part of fandom. Women have been part of creating science fiction and fantasy. Lee Brackett, Anne McCaffrey, Ursula Le Guin, Mary Shelley, Jeanette Kahn, Louise Simonson, just to name a few. But women have always been part of this community. Community. Fandom. Women have always been here. Now, in some circles, maybe they weren't treated as well as they were in other circles. But in today's world, in today's fandoms, there are certain people who are not treated very well by other people in the fandom. That's nothing new. The motivations may have changed. The reasons why we don't get along may have changed. But the exclusionary He-Man Woman Haters Club 
type of mentality, I would say, exists more strongly now than it did because of the internet, mainly. Because you now have opportunities to dogpile on somebody that doesn't agree with you, and you can do it anonymously, and you can do a bunch of people all do it at the same time and just, just pile on. These people clearly have a bone to pick with somebody about something. And Star Wars is a convenient contrivance to give them an entry point in all of this. Now, should the academic community be using Jedi as an acronym for what they're trying to do? That's a whole nother thing, because what was the reasoning behind coming up with that? Because clearly anybody who had thought of it in the beginning all of this had to have realized that people would make the connection to Star Wars. It has to be deliberate. What was it Obi-Wan said? For over a thousand generations, the... Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace in the galaxy. Warrior monks is what George Lucas described them as. And of course, you know, this whole thing about, about race, you look at who's, who's a Jedi. I mean, Mace Windu, right there up front and center. You have aliens, you have humans, you have humans of, of different colors. There was no exclusionary part of that except for sensitivity. Okay, fine. How is that any different from any meritocracy, any promotions based on job performance, for example? And I know there are people who have problems with that. I have problems with people failing upwards. People who get promoted despite or because of their incompetency. Let's promote them to get them out of the way, maybe. But at the same time, you're rewarding somebody for not doing anything, for not accomplishing anything, for not having the skills or the resources to contribute to the success of whatever endeavor that you're working on. The Jedi are merit-based. You earn your position as a Jedi Knight. Green Apple says, Nerds were never no women allowed because the idea of a nerd girlfriend has been a thing since fandom became a thing. <laughs> well, to expand on that, you have people like Forrest Ackerman, for example, who coined the term science, sci, scientific fiction before it was science fiction. Uh, Forrest Ackerman's wife, girlfriend, I think, I don't want to say it was his wife, she was right there in the thick of things, right there with, with him in the 1920s and 30s. Helped to bring about some of the earliest first conventions. Women have always been part of fandom. And I consider myself very, very, very extremely fortunate that my current paramour and trophy wife, Mrs. Boss, is a fan because 
I can share that enthusiasm with her. She has that with, that she brings to the table. Now, she doesn't know as much, but she's young yet. She's learning. We're going through various different shows that she hasn't seen. She's, you know, she's asking questions and she wants to know about this stuff. She's enthusiastic about things. She's a fan. We might have to have a conversation about Twilight. <clears throat> but you have people around you of a like mind, of a, of a shared interest, and you're you're always going to gravitate toward affinity groups, as it were. You're always going to gravitate toward those people who share in interests for, by and large, maybe. Hello, Cam1138. Good to see you in the chat as well. Uh, Green Apple says, Rewriting history to make women the excluded is dumb. There just weren't as many women interested until it became mainstream. That is a very good point, Green Apple, because until the Tumblr Twitter crowd got involved in all of this, fandom was a very different thing. Sci-Fi Snob says, spoiler alert, Mrs. Boss is faking interest in this stuff because she likes you. That could very well be. Are you faking it, Mrs. Boss? Are you faking the interest? Oh, she's she's taking to the keyboard. <clears throat> Watch out. I, oh, yeah. Yes, she likes me for my cooking and the dog. I think that the longer we go with fandom being as divided as it is. See, fandom is not divided because of Star Wars in this particular case, or Star Trek or Doctor Who or anything like that. The division comes and is promoted and encouraged because you have two completely different sets of groups of people who are responding to the material in different ways. And those are driven by political and ideological agendas more than they are any kind of appreciation for the actual stories themselves. There are people who are using this entertainment media as an excuse, as a, as a ploy as a shield, as cover for whatever sociological, educational things that they want to do, some kind of an agenda. They, they infiltrate and they destroy this thing from within because of how they see the world. And then they pretend, well, it's been this way all the time comics has always been political. Star Trek has always been political. You know, this is this is where we are. Where you have people who are very recently claiming to be fans, destroying said franchise fandom, some as fans and some as creators. Everything's driven by ideological stuff now. And it's and it's it's happening on both sides. And this is something that this is something that we need to be very careful about because as as things evolve and we get into this whole us versus them tribalism it's very easy 
to have a knee-jerk reaction to the other side. Right or left, left red, blue, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, atheist, believer, you know, any of those things. We have to be very careful to have a reasoned, well-executed response to some of this idiocy that we see coming from certain circles. We have to be careful because we, we're in danger of behaving the same way as the people who are making hash of all of the things we enjoy. The far-left progressivists, communists, socialists, who have infiltrated all of these things that we enjoy, who are corrupting the values of all of the things that we enjoy, whether it's an entertainment thing or an academic thing or a government thing or, what, or religion, all of that has been infected by far-left, radical, progressive politics. And we need to be studying Saul Alinsky. We need to be studying Sun Tzu. But at the same time, we have to be very, very careful that the tactics and practices that we have to argue against the corruption of these things we enjoy or the things that we benefit from or, or things we believe, we have to be careful not to engage in the same kind of destructive behaviors. There's a place and a time for armed conflict, and I mean that in a metaphorical term, where, you know, shots fired by whatever point you want to make, cancel culture, blockchains, whatever, I can think of some extreme dire circumstances where that might be something to be, to be used as a, as a tactic. But it can't be our first answer. It can't be our first answer to everything. This kind of an article here in Scientific American, what needs to happen, if anybody really wants to do this, there's a couple of different ways that you can respond to this. One, you do it like, a, like we've done here. We take it and we pick it apart and say, this is stupid. Or you could do a fisking of it and show how it's ridiculously stupid, or you completely ignore it. And a lot of times, people completely ignore it. But this being the internet, it gets discussed, and it came up over the weekend. I thought, yeah, well, why not? We'll, t we'll take a look, and we'll talk about it. <clears throat> but, yeah, Sci-Fi Snob, I, sometimes, sometimes I'm in that boat. Burn it all down. I mean, it's... Is it, are we at the scorched earth point yet? I hope not. In the meantime, I'm hoping that other people will create new things for us to enjoy. Where's the next... Star Trek. Where's the next Star Wars? Where's the next Buck Rogers? Speaking of which, the youngling and I, well, I can't really call him a youngling anymore. He's 19. He and I have this idea. And it was an idea he had when he was five. 
when he said, let's make a new Star Trek. And we've been kicking around this idea, and it, it has laid dormant for a long time. But I, I talked to him the other day, and I said, why don't, we, why don't we revisit this and maybe turn it into a comic book? So we're thinking. We're thinking. It's uh, this whole thing. It's uh, the overall. The overall bit is called Comet Tales at this point, and and a series of stories involving a character named John Murphy. Uh, not to be confused with Jack Murphy, the 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 podcaster. John Murphy and the the beginnings of all of this were we do this as a little ten minutes. 10-minute episode serialized format, kind of like the old Buck Rogers Flash Gordon serials of the 30s. And that's still there. We've got ideas for all sorts of things there. John, Right now, John Murphy and the Orb of Doom, John Murphy and the Vagabond Princess, John Murphy and the Pirates of Planet X, you know, that, that kind of thing. So we're thinking about one for a comic book in order to just kind of jumpstart and in, introduce the characters that we've got. So... Yeah, it's a it's a thing. Right now, it's John Murphy and the blank. We're trying to figure out what the blank is going to be, uh, but we're thinking about putting John Murphy into a comic book. So take take a we'll take a thought. We're gonna we're gonna think about that and and see about it. Um. So yeah. Who knows? In the meantime, we'll continue to do what we do here. Uh, we'll be we're still monitoring uh, Comic-Con websites and announcements for for their changes and, and policies and updates and whatnot. And uh, we've got a new H2O podcast tonight. Not sure what our topic is going to be. We've got to pull it from the list because we do have a list. So we've got a new uh, H2O tonight and we'll be back to do this all again tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Hopefully I won't be late. And uh, in the meantime, uh, make sure you are subscribed, have your notifications turned on, connect with us over on Odyssey. This is a very important thing, because if YouTube ever decides that we are persona non grata and wrong think, and they take our channel away, Odyssey will be where you can find us. So find us over there on Odyssey, the link's there in the in the show description, and uh, uh, MI982, late to the party, no, because you can go and watch it in replay because it's going to stay here and it's it's going to live here for a while unless YouTube decides to take it away. In which case, you can watch it on Odyssey. So, glad you showed up. Glad you're here. This show is on live Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central. So, just to let everybody know when you can catch it live. And uh, we'll do it all again tomorrow. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. And remember... There are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.